sweetie. I think that works. I think that sounds good. Hot chocolate fudge velvet. Ooh. That kind of voice. Yeah, <laughs> that will work perfectly. Right. Perfect. Hi. 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 How are you? So we're finally sitting down to do our mm. podcast, John. Yes, we are. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about <laughs> whatever comes up and just let, it up. just let it come out, right? Mm, kind of risky uh, what you're asking for then because sometimes you never know what's going to come I out. I know, right? Mm. I know, but that's kind of the best conversation sometimes, isn't it? Unscripted. Yeah. It's, it's a Monday morning. It is. We're not it feels very early, doesn't it? It's not even, well, it's barely morning it's like anymore. It's, it's nearly, nearly midday. And I feel like I should be back in bed. It's very professional with all this equipment. Thank you. I'm liking it. I'm feeling very, like, celeb with yeah. a microphone. You know, I've got to do my... um. Gotta do my best of all this gear, which I'm still getting used to. Um right. where are we gonna kick off? Um well, so I have gotten to know you in the past sort of three years. I think four. It's three maybe it's no. Mm, I guess like three and a bit. You were probably cutting my hair for a while before then. Mm-mm. And I didn't really know you. No, I came back from no? Australia. Okay. Came back from Australia and then I was working at a salon in Cambridge. And then you came in, and I always thought, oh, who's that beautiful boy? I saw you by mistake, because the person I was normally seeing was not there. Oh and they God. were like, oh, you can see you can see this other one. It's fate. And uh, I was like, okay, I suppose I'll have the other one. Um, they better be good. And then you were so good that I wanted you again, they but were you'd inc- gone. Incredible. And I was quite devoted because I think hairdressers are, like, the key, key workers, aren't mm-hmm. they? And... Isn't there this research in psychology saying that people yeah. are more loyal to their hairdresser than they are to like their doctor or their dentist Husbands. or anything? Yeah, to their husbands, <laughs> <laughs> to their partners. I've been so loyal to you all these years. Yeah, men have come and gone, yeah. <laughs> but you've been there. My um, my clients are my longest relationships, always. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, good quality relationships. So yeah, we know we've uh, known each other for a while, but yeah. not really as friends. I think you were like my hairdresser, and then you became mm-hmm. my friend. Yeah. Uh, through, I don't know, more and more sort of encounters on nights out. Mm, yeah, um, when I was when I was not myself, I was a drag queen. Mm, and often like me needing life advice mm-hmm. and coming to you distraught about yeah. uh, various men. Yeah. Uh, and you giving very good advice. Thanks. Yeah. I do my best. Even though I'm not in any stable relationship, I still manage to do my best otherwise. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure you've done your best at like biting your tongue and being like, Okay, I've got to be patient with this one again because mm-hmm. it's the same story again, isn't it, James? Just yeah, exactly. I'm just a fairy gay mother, and I just have to regurgitate the same information over and over again, which is fine. I quite like doing that, being mm-hmm. a little bit motherly. But I think you have to be ready to hear it to act on it, mm. if you know what I mean. And uh, you've given me little gentle nudges mm-hmm. along the way, which has been great. Um, and now, and now we're actual friends. Yeah, I love actual it. Actual friendos. Yeah. Yeah, it's just quite difficult for me actually, like to be really open with people. Even though I talk a lot about myself and mm. my mental health and stuff in in the media and things, but actually being intimate with somebody rather than speaking to a massive audience is much more frightening. I'd rather stand in a room of hundred people and talk yeah. than actually sit down with a coffee and get to know somebody one to one. Well, I mean, I've definitely no- noticed that with you. It took me forever to get you to come and just sit down with me one-to-one, which was fine, as much as it kind of... Apart from hair. 
Yeah, apart from hair, yeah. Jesus, you can get them in for hair every like four weeks without well, that's, fail. That's an, em- that's an emergency, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It reaches that stage on yeah. that particular day where your hair is unmanageable yeah. and it's just an emergency. And then you book your hair appointment and then the day of your hair appointment is the best hair day of your life. Mm-hmm. It's so annoying. And everyone tells you, oh my God, did you just get your hair done? It's like, no, I'm on my way. On my way, exactly. It's so annoying. But yeah, I think there's something frightening about like intimate, close connections yeah. for me. And that's probably rooted in loads of stuff about childhood and, and past experiences and mm. things, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But in a way, it's something that I want more than standing in front of 100 or 1,000 people. Yeah. You actually want it more, so it means more. And it's that thing of needing to be vulnerable to do it. Yeah. And I'm glad that I uh, took the chance to be vulnerable because I now have a great friend. I know, right? Mm. Just took a little chance. When, sort of, how long ago do you feel that you've been a bit like that with having close friendships where you've been a bit guarded? about it Mm, really good question very long time I think and I mean I look back on my life and I see that like a large part of it has been dominated by being really unwell mentally Mm. um, and physically actually with eating problems and OCD and depression and all sorts of things Um, because it's funny how you know mental health problems often come with other mental health problems not just on their own Um, and I think a lot of that isn't to do with like a problem in my brain like a lot of people think you know there's a chemical imbalance or something I think a lot of it's been to do with actually the social environment and Mm -hmm. feeling really alienated and sure there are reasons why you sort of isolate yourself or become isolated in the first place but then once you are I think that that is like a a massive problem in itself so I definitely felt growing up that there weren't really people like me and not in a way where I thought I was special and mm-hmm. like I was just this amazing person and there's nobody as, as special as me yeah. in a way where I was like just very alienated yeah. and didn't find other people who I related to in in school. I felt really like the odd one out all the time and yeah, I didn't, I didn't see other people who were, who were like me really. And did I you get an idea of why you felt that kind of different slash singled out? Um, I guess I was quite geeky. I was a massive overachiever mm. um, without kind of really trying very hard. And that wasn't the culture of the schools that I was mm. in. You know, it was uh, sort of about survival rather than um, achieving. And I think that because I was doing really well and, and bright and had all these other things going on, like music and, and doing music to high level, I think that made me stand out. Whereas if I was in another school, maybe like a private school or something where everybody does that, then yeah. I would have just been another person. But I think that it really um, made me stand out and I had a lot of bullying. And I think I looked a little bit different, a bit geeky with quite long hair and glasses. Um, and yeah, I felt like I attracted a lot of attention for my appearance sure. and the way I presented. And I was skinny and lanky and I had puberty quite early, which I think was probably another way of feeling a bit different or alienated because my voice broke in primary school right and other things happened at the same time yeah in primary school <laughs> and i grew with it yeah i grew to sort of this height when i was about 11 or 12 i think okay. and i i still have clothes from when i was 12 that i would fit into now Jeez. and yeah that was a bit i don't know a bit difficult really and i don't think that i recognized that until much later mm, but at yeah. the time it was so embarrassing like you're singing in assembly and you're like going along with this really deep voice and everyone else is sounding like little choir boys sure. and I think that 
yeah I, I didn't know what was happening to my body nobody was telling me that or I didn't mm. have anyone to talk to about that and I just had to deal with it and get on with it and part of that for me was part of the way that I coped with that was to shut down my body and yeah. to be like I don't want this happening um it wasn't so much about like my sexual orientation yeah the whole sexual part and sexual development part it was just like oh my goodness what is this in mm. the first place never mind like who I was attracted to and I think that was a really hard thing to go through on your own and I don't think that young people should have to go through that on their own they should have spaces to talk about that kind of thing yeah when you when you say like shut down your body what do you mean when you were that age um so when I went to high school I felt so anxious about going to school because I really didn't enjoy it and I found it really unstimulating and I felt that I was bullied a lot mm. that my way of coping with feeling upset about that or feeling anxious about that was to not eat or drink mm. when I was in school okay. and I was really sort of paranoid about bodily functions and like yeah. I didn't want to use the bathroom in the school and so I wouldn't eat or drink and when I came home I would eat like two dinners instead of mm. one dinner and as far as my like parents knew I seemed really happy at home because yeah. I wasn't in school yeah. so they didn't know that anything was was wrong and my I literally felt like you know to go there I have to shut my body down I have to shut myself down mm. got to get through it mm -hmm. and then I'll come home and I'll feel fine and I didn't really make like strong friendships or, or wasn't really able to be close to other people and I wasn't even close to myself really was I if I was shutting down my body I was not well, feeling things so I was gonna say like if you you can't you say about not making friends and stuff but then if you're not feeling yourself in yourself you're not going to make a real connection with someone there are you oh exactly you're almost creating a barrier yeah. I think if you have and this is something I've you know learned more and more as I've grown much older is mm. that if you don't have a very strong connection with yourself then it is more difficult to connect with other people yeah. and you don't have that foundation to connect with other people from so I think that was definitely going on for me and as I got more and more isolated from myself I got more isolated from other people and that only made things worse and ended up being like a really significant clinical problem mm. and it's taken me the whole rest of my life to try and overcome it and I look back and I think it could have been different if people around me had spotted it if there had been spaces to talk and you know people who would help me break that isolation and so that's kind of why I do the work that I do is to make sure that other people don't have that same experience mm. but I did get people sort of helping me because you know at the end I had to go to the doctors and had to be in all these mental health services and everything but I do feel that they really trivialized the problem or they made loads of assumptions that they took it back to yeah because you're gay exactly sort of thing, yeah. so yeah you're getting onto it yeah um, and I think that assumptions are mm. something I want to challenge all of the time because I look at the assumptions that were made about me one of them was that oh you're really bright so you're going to recover really fast mm. and nobody ever like thought their way out of a mental health problem otherwise yeah. nobody would need any treatment would they and so I that was one sort of assumption another assumption was that oh your family are really well to do they've got like a good standing in the community so obviously you have a supportive family and that wasn't the case for me because actually my family might look you know like their pillars of the community on the outside but they have their own struggles as well yeah and that's not their fault and they needed support too um so that was another way of denying them help and they might not be aware and or just even know how to cope with things yeah like how can how somebody parents know parents don't just know everything exactly that your parents do it yeah how can you expect like a mother to cope with a child who's got anorexia mm without any support at all when they have their own mental health problems. I think that, you know, it's it's completely unfair to think that they would be able to cope. And so that was another assumption. And I think 
one of the ones was that you know oh you have this eating disorder because you're gay and you haven't come to terms with it and mm. that really frustrated me because yeah. it shuts down the conversation straight away by assuming that and actually maybe there were really important and interesting things about my sexuality that were sort of in play with the eating problem mm. but just to say oh that's the reason why we don't need to look at it we you know you'll grow out of it is what somebody actually told me yeah made me feel really sort of patronized but also like I didn't have a chance to talk about how it really was for me and the subtlety to it it's not just uh, that classic story of like oh you hate yourself because you haven't come to terms with with being gay what if it's a bit more mm-hmm. different about that what if it's about actually I really don't know how to be in my body and it's not so much about whether I'm attracted to men or, yeah. or women or anyone it's it's just like what do I do with the sex drive just like what do I do with a uh, drive to learn things what do I do yeah. with the drive to use my energy and libido is just another one of those drives and so mm. for me like I never had a space to talk about that either and I think that it almost made it into a problem that it wasn't yeah because my family have never ever had a problem with me being gay and my mum's a priest so maybe they thought oh there's a problem in your family with that mm. um because people think that all priests are like really Religion strict and, and that you know <laughs> you go into a church and you burst into flames and all that kind of yeah, stuff yeah. and actually not everyone's like that no. and not all guys who have anorexia are you know people who've been either abused or they're or they're not coming to terms with their sexuality so yeah. i think that it was just such a cliche that s- shut down me being seen for me mm. and these stories like all of our stories um, i'm so happy to know that you're talking to more and more people about their stories yeah, but yeah. all of our stories are complicated they're nuanced it's not just one story that you can paste from one person to another oh this is the you know what it's like to become a gay man and this no. is what it's like to be by you know i think that i was really disappointed to not have that space to talk yeah <sighs> big subjects definitely sounds a bit depressing <laughs> no so like i was gonna say um for people that aren't aware, you had an eating disorder sort of start when you were very young. Ish, yeah. like about 15. 15, yeah. okay. okay. But I think this is like when it got diagnosed, I guess, and before that. So you would call it eating disorder. I don't want to like presume yeah. that, you know, I'm saying. I'm <laughs> so saying many things. assumptions all the time. I know, right? I'm just like, hi, this is what he has. Um, but obviously, so yeah, that was something that started when you when you were 15 and yeah, but then I guess that's when it was diagnosed and these things yeah. take a while to present, don't yes. they? And to actually get to help and support mm. and not enough people get support when they need it and people yeah. have to wait for ages. Yeah. So I, c- I can see the roots of it like much before then and yeah. this sort of struggle to come to terms with my body, which wasn't how I was when I grew up. And it's really mm. interesting because family, friends and stuff talk to me and they'll say, oh, you're like the last person in the world we would have thought would have had mental health problems, which kind of goes into that thing about assumptions of like who may or may not (laughs) that's what i would have done uh, from my perspective seeing you when you walked in the salon i was just like what a beautiful boy you know it's what i just think off the top of my head you never would assume that that person has this and that going on yeah you know and that in the end they're still you know we're all people Mm. we're not we're never just labels and diagnoses Mm. you know and so eating disorder has been a really big part of my life and it's still part of my life, something I'm really working on, like breaking through the last bits of recovery. But I've never just been an eating disorder. When I've been seen yeah. in that way, it's been another way of not actually seeing me for who and how I actually yeah, am. Of so 
but people would say to me like people still say to me you were such a carefree child and I mm. was I remember that sort of free child um, who dressed in whatever the hell I wanted to wear mm. like I mostly wore girls clothes at home and nobody batted an eyelid well actually my sister got a bit upset that like I would wear all the dresses from the dressing up box and my mum was just like just let him wear the dresses just better, like obviously. just please let him wear the dresses because we know how upset James gets when he yeah. can't wear the skirt and uh, like I used to have to wear my um like dress or my skirt to the primary school and then mm -hmm. take it off outside the gate and I really didn't understand why I had to take it mm. off and actually now I probably would be like I don't know allowed to wear the skirt or something I don't know yeah but yeah probably I mean you'd get ahead of the times you know yeah yeah you know clothing isn't gendered and that is a that's a huge topic that I want to yeah. talk about one day oh I was on it when I was four so well you know I was but it was cardboard <laughs> strapped to me and I claimed it was boobs so you know we hmm. all have our things <laughs> I was, no, I was I was a Hawaiian <laughs> I was a Hawaiian dancer in primary school with a with a like a hula hula dress thing. Mm -hmm. Um I think they were tears and riser. I think I was more upset about doing it, but then I probably discovered how much I loved it after that. Yeah, so I I was really carefree and I was very much in my body mm. and I was very emotional as a child in a way that it wasn't frowned upon like I would always be crying I remember telling myself like today you're not gonna cry James mm. because I'd see stuff on TV like an advert for a charity or something and I'd be like oh that's so sad and I'd be really moved or I'd see beautiful things outside in the park like flowers and just be really moved and so I was probably this hyper emotional child which probably predisposed me to you know feeling things really really strongly or having difficulties with my feelings later on but it wasn't the problem when I was young I was, I was just very you know feeling and living yeah so your your parents really chill that you were yeah they okay. didn't mind at all that i didn't sort of express typically masculine behaviors yeah and when i grew up i wanted to do violin which is a very sort of feminine instrument and i was not um into things that other guys were in interested in at yeah. all and i was doing gardening and violin when i got home and nobody cared i had a really free range childhood in in lots of ways and it's it is sort of amazing to think that you know i was so out peace with myself then and then yeah. i had such profound difficulties and completely wanted to destroy my body and my mm. experience and couldn't even tolerate being in my body because it felt so uncomfortable and it shows that things can really change and i think i suppose it shows that things can change back and that yeah. there's plenty of hope and i think one thing that's given me lots of hope has been remembering what it's like to be a child and to remember before um you learn Being all these things free. yeah that you learn that you can't be like that or that yeah. you you know you shouldn't be over emotional or that you should wear these particular clothes to fit in and everything yeah. and i think that you could all do with a little bit more free child and play and and just letting go a little bit i know i sound really serious now but i love dance and and i teach yoga and bits of dance and i think it's so important to get adults to play and to play around with what they can do mm -hmm. in their bodies and to just let go a little bit and not care what yeah. they look like. And I like to provide a space for people to do that because I know that it's something I lost and getting it back is part of being an integrated person who is also a bit childish, also a bit serious. Um, but we can be all these different things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's how I like to express with makeup and clothes. Um well, we talk about serious things, don't we? And then we also have, like, a lot of fun. Massively. Yeah. yeah, massively. We can have some really, you could call it heavy conversation, but I really enjoy those conversations because then I get to know the person that I'm with um, on many different levels. Mm. But outside of that, 
yeah, oh my God, I love to have fun. I love to be silly and and do whatever and get creative and create. Creating is just so important. I feel like more and more that I have this impulse to create and when I'm not creating, mm. it makes me really unhappy. So like I did a lot it. of music when I was younger, like I said, and then when I got to 18, I was supposed to go either to Cambridge or music college to do violin and I got the places and I was sort of like ready to go and then I was still like too unwell to go. Mm. And you can only leave it like after two years of like holding your place. They're like, I'm sorry, you're not actually coming, are right, you? Right. And I was like, well, no, because I'm I'm basically dying. Right. And, and and so I stopped playing music altogether, mm. like completely. And it was my life and it was my like ambition to be a professional musician. And I didn't play for about eight years until I came back to Cambridge. Mm. And I came back in what 2015. And Kay. I thought, oh, it's a good opportunity maybe to start playing again. And I carefully like opened the dusty violin box and got it out a couple of weeks before I came and I've been doing it ever since nice. and that's been like a massive return to who I am and yeah. it doesn't have to be perfect it used to be so pressured I think mm. you know before that's what's quite perfect. nice though isn't it about yeah. leaving something like that you can come back to it and you've kind of lost the weight of that pressure and whatever yeah. anxieties were with it before even we start start fresh yeah, which is really nice, and it's kind of depressing in a way that I can't play stuff that I used to play when I was sixteen, like as well as I could mm. then. It's a yeah, bit more scrapey. You, you could, you could do eventually. You, but you know, with a bit of it. practice. Mm -hmm. But that's not my strong point. I like to just do things and like mm. hope that it comes out okay. And then yeah, <laughs> that's practice in itself. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I'm really practiced at winging it. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a life's career. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Right, and everyone's like, "Oh, Cambridge, it must be so like oh professional, and you must be such a good academic person." I'm like, no, I'm winging it, like everyone else, probably. Fake it till you make it, isn't mm. it? Like in bloody everything. Totally. So, going back to what we we're talking about with body image mm. when you were younger, and maybe your dress sense. Yeah. Because I know that you've said to me before about being. Well, you used to dress quite like androgynous, uh -huh. um, so which is cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, so whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, I, w I was dressing in all these great fancy dress dresses when I was a child, yeah. and then I had to go to school, and you know, people don't wear those to school. Nope. Um, I think I was just very conventional and very boring with how I with how I dressed. I had really, I don't know, really negative view of my body and that it's an interesting question and like when did that change because like I said I was really like unselfconscious as a child I didn't care what I was wearing what I looked like I didn't have a concept of being attractive or unattractive that was not a thing and that somehow must have been put on me or comes from somewhere doesn't it but I think there was something about becoming self-aware that was part of growing up and I was even more self-aware because people were bullying me for my appearance mm. and so obviously I thought that I looked bad and I did look geeky and had long hair and yeah I think that I really rejected how I looked and my body and I don't know it, it was just a very difficult time and I think one there was one day that I remember quite well where I had all my hair cut off mm. like quite long hair okay. and I had loads of rituals around getting ready for school because I was so anxious and it turned out that it was OCD. 
when it was diagnosed, but it would take me hours to get ready for school. I would cut my own hair every day Jesus. with scissors because it had to be perfect. And a lot of my focus was on my like facial appearance mm. and my hair and my clothes being immaculate, even though it was just school uniform. And people think OCD is about washing your hands, but it's about anything. And I was like taking three, four hours to get ready. I'd have to get up really early to go to school. And I would cut my hair every day. And one day I cut it like so much and it's kind of that thing of like it's never enough I cut one bit and it was still wrong and I just kept cutting and cutting and then it was like all the way down to my scalp on one bit of my hair and I think I must have lost my mind for a moment and I then I was mortified and I had to get it sorted out so I put on a hat but did that come from people bullying you about your image that made you sort of think oh I've got to be this and that with your OCD-ness on your image I think I realized that I I don't know I think I realized that that was an important thing the way you looked was important because it was obviously the thing that I was being picked up on. And so if I was struggling with how I felt and I wanted to control something, it was going to be the way that I looked. Mm. And after I'd cut this hair off, I had to go and get it like professionally cut. So that was a really like, hideously embarrassing experience because what do you say to the hairdresser when you go in with like random bits of hair cut well, off? It's like facing everything, isn't it? Yeah. Bloody hairdressers for you. I know. And it, I found hair really really stressful when I was growing up and yeah. I think that it was such an object of focus for me with my OCD needing it to be perfect like absolutely sort of solidifying it with hairspray and everything which is something I still do a tiny bit now yes, you do. when I come when I come in it's full of product but I think it looks like good though it looks it looks good because it's a good cut but Thanks. I remember having that like done having all my hair cut off and then going to school the next day and I sort of timed it so that I went to school with contact lenses for the first time ever. And so I look, I went from this sort of like glasses, geeky, long hair, lanky person who was really into music and academic to short hair, like short back and sides, no glasses. And it was really noticeable difference in my appearance. And I was really rewarded for it. Like everyone was like, oh, you look so nice. You look so good, etc." Mm. And so that's just a massive reinforcement that yeah, the way you look positive. is so important. And, yeah. and you know, that, still happens you know where where people like reinforce me having a good body or whatever and I'm like that's not actually very helpful because it's telling me again that the way you look is the most important thing and I've had to reject that I've had to realize no it doesn't matter it's how you feel in your body that matters much more so I think that that was a massive sort of turning point where I went from feeling I was really unacceptable looking to people actually liking the way I looked and at that time then everybody was like having their sexual development as well and it it felt sort of scary I think and I thought maybe I'm not hideous maybe I'm actually attracted to some people and that freaked me out because I was just like in this safe space of thinking I was hideous and didn't have anything that was attractive about me and I think maybe that was I don't know I retreated back into that space of like I don't want to deal with this I don't want to deal with other people finding me attractive I don't want to deal with having feelings about myself or, I w or feeling good about myself I want to go back into feeling like you know I just have have nothing and that's a safe space for me and so I went that from that time is when I really developed the restrictive like eating and started losing a lot of weight and started to look like a skeleton and everything and, and clothes didn't fit so I did have to wear like you said I was androgynous like as I as I grew up and like when I was a bit older, had to had to wear women's clothes because nothing else would fit me. So I was 
also wearing really baggy clothes because I didn't want people to see how skinny I was underneath. And actually, there was something really expressive about that. There was something like, I'm hiding myself, but I'm covering myself up with something else. And I think in some ways I'd quite like to be as experimental and creative as I was with clothing at some points then because now I feel I'm very conventional again yeah I was gonna say how do you feel how do you feel about your sort of dress sense now in a way like um what does does clothing mean much to you now what you wear I guess so I think this is something that I love to think about or talk about with you because I find your dress sense really inspiring not just because it's good taste in my view but because I think it takes courage to just wear what the hell you like Mm. when people it does matter to other people and it shouldn't matter to other people and I see it and I think wow that's a statement of this is me and that's really brave but why should it have to be brave why is it even an issue so it's it's kind of I don't know it's kind of inspiring for me to think that you know you're brave enough to just wear what you want and every time I see you wearing something or wearing makeup, I'm like, you know, I would really love to be more experimental and more expressive because being expressive is a part of who I am. I wear quite conventional clothes. I mean, most of the time I wear lycra, just black lycra because I'm yeah, teaching yoga yeah. all the time. And that's like my bodysuit, which I feel really comfortable in. Yeah. I feel really unselfconscious, strangely, when I'm in, in skin tight. In the most tight. tightest outfit, he feels but it's it's consci- it's weird right but like yeah, I, f- I feel like but it's almost like it's like your safety net it's yeah. your safe place in a way isn't it With i'm so safe now. when i'm teaching because mm. i suppose i feel like i'm in control i feel yeah actually like a round quite a, a rounded person because i can uh be i don't have to be perfect in that situation people really accept me for what i do i think i'm quite good at it and yeah i wear this skin tight lycra which is really exposing, but I feel like I feel completely asexual when I'm teaching. I do not feel at yeah, all sexual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's just like your superhero outfit. It's like your uniform, isn't it? Yeah. Really? It doesn't. There's nothing attached to it except the power. Just the power <laughs> to make people yeah. do what I want them to do with their yeah. bodies. Yeah. yeah. It's true, and I I think that in a way, I for professional reasons, mm. it's very useful that people can see the alignment. So if yeah, I was wearing yeah, really yeah, baggy yeah, clothes, yeah. like honestly, yoga teachers with really baggy pants, you're like, what is that hip doing? If you're wearing really baggy clothes whilst doing yoga, like, I want to see the posture. Yeah, exactly. Cleanly. Yeah, clean lines. Yeah. Yeah, silhouette. So that's really useful. But it is strange that I feel just so unselfconscious. I rem- it reminds me of that free child. I feel like I don't have a skin. I'm just really comfortable. I'm playing around. And, and that feels great to me, which is very strange because the idea of, even going to a yoga class, never mind standing in front of everybody and actually having to expose my body. That was terrifying, like, the not even that long ago. It's just a difference. It's funny, like, I've done a bit of yoga and I have enjoyed it sometimes, mm. a lot of time. But when I'm wearing, like, a uh, exercise, like, shorts and tops and stuff, except for the lycra, that feels kind of nice. And I'm just mm. like, yes, body! <laughs> but when I'm wearing shorts and gym wear, I can tend to feel most outside of what I am. And mm-hmm. I feel so, I don't know, like yeah. I've lost a bit of myself in it, which is funny because obviously it needs to be suitable for gym. Well, it's practical. It's utilitarian, isn't it? It's, you know, you need stuff that's not going to stink like afterwards. You need stuff that dries fast and everything. But yeah, I don't I like all those gym clothes. I just find it so boring to wear. It's really like, dull. What is this? But actually, yeah. You know, so I what I love about yoga clothes reasons. is that like a lot of male teachers wouldn't wear what I wear. Mm. You know, they'll wear like a t-shirt or they'll wear something a bit baggy. But I, I think it's a bit tiny bit rebellious to wear what I wear 
but I love it and people find it really useful. But then, like, it is a bit boring. And I feel, this is really sad, but I feel like a, a complete rebel when I wear colourful leggings. Mm. Like, instead of just all yeah, black, which yeah, is what yeah, I normally yeah. wear. Like, for me, going to teach in different coloured leggings yeah. is like... I feel like I'm really expressing myself. It's like and it's, an F you. Yeah, and it's it's nothing really. I mean, I do love my rainbow leggings, but, but it's the, something. The amount of how empowering that can be is huge. So you can't say it's nothing. Mm. If it makes you feel like that, yeah. that can push you in itself. Y- it might look like nothing, but it, it's hugely empowering. Yeah, and I think it's like what we apportion to it. You know, mm. and for somebody, it might wearing an earring might be like a massive deal, a massive expression, oh or a rebellion. But Even for somebody else. Well, it's even nothing. like wearing one earring, I never really used to do that. And now most of the time I do do it. I'm not today. Mm. But I would. And the first time I would do that, I'd be like, no, no, I can't wear it. I don't want I don't want to get comments on it. Yeah. Someone will judge me for it. Someone will say something. But when you do do it, again, it's just like a little another, another empowering moment. Yeah, I suppose. But it, I guess it's that it has meaning, but also mm. it shouldn't be a big deal to other people. No, you know what I mean? No, 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 exactly. But it always yeah. is. But it is, unfortunately. Yeah, so I think that the the body image side of my eating problems and stuff, again, it's not like a, a cliche. Like, people would say, oh, you want to look like somebody in a magazine. Like, a doctor told me once, why do you want to have anorexia? For a start, nobody wants to. But, like, why do you want to have that? Because that's what girls want to look like. And yeah. I was like, well, come on, educate yourself, please. Yeah. But also, it's not that you're going to see an image in a magazine and overnight just choose to become anorexic. It is the case that we have loads of pressures put on our bodies, and that is more and more the case for men, as Mm. well as it has been for women for decades. And men don't have, like, a body positivity movement. You know, women have feminism and are much better at supporting each other, you know, than men are. But The, The men are getting better at kind of, like, there's a lot of, body image issues that I see within uh-huh. gay things mm. and it grosses me out it really does how of what the sort of ideal uh, male masculine body should be yeah so um it's it's so forced and yeah it's so normalized it's ar- it's I think just it's just around. everywhere it's really hideous. and it's also really confusing because you're supposed to have this idealized body type of mm. you know basically a Greek sculpture yeah, and you're also supposed to be baking all the time and eating all these cakes and having brunch and drinking and going on holiday and going to the gym and also maybe having a job. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's it seems like it could be a full time job anyway, just to keep up appearances. And having an absolutely sound mental health. Of course, having a normal things. mental health yeah. and an ideal partner and a puppy yeah. and everything. And it's a lot of pressure if you actually think I need to be like this to be mm. to be normal and to be acceptable. Yeah. But I think that the whole thing of body image in in the gay community in particular is one that I really struggle with and one that I don't want to talk about in a way that seems a bit sort of hypocritical or shallow because I know that I buy into that personally mm-hmm. and I know that a lot I think a lot of us do aspire for, for this body type um, maybe because it's something that you know it's not that thing of you've seen it in a magazine it's not just because you see it all around you on, on Instagram or something it's because actually it means something to real people and real people will tell you that you are better because of it. Like, it's not an abstract thing. It's that if I put a, a topless picture of myself on Grinder, I will get that many messages yeah, more yeah, yeah. than if I put my face, yeah. right? Or, yeah. or and, and, you know, it's, it's not that it's an abstract thing. It's that it actually plays out in society. Well, it's just ingrained in everyone, gay or straight, isn't it? Um, if 
you look like you've lost a bit of weight or something someone will quickly very you know be happy to say oh you look like you've lost weight and it's like you don't always need to say that even though i know that i do that to people why does it matter also um, like <laughs> so depending if yeah. i know them though um but i wouldn't just kind of come out with it yeah people will say oh you lost what you lost weight since the last time i saw you but yeah. they won't say oh i saw you did that really amazing thing or you mm. achieved that in work and yeah. they'll say oh you lost weight and i post stuff on social media like yeah it's quite image based it's all about yoga and stuff yeah. but i always put like a long kind of spiel or some kind of inspirational message and for me it's about the message yeah and it's annoying when people you know i know or even my friends will reply to something i've written about mental health accompanied by a yoga posture and saying like oh your ass looks good and i'm like well did you actually read the yeah. message you know, there's, there's something more important there than just the way that i looked and we're such a primarily visual like species it's part yeah. of our psychology it's part of the way that we operate but we are intelligent enough to see beyond it. And I think yeah. that I think that the gay community are just particularly bad at calling it out. Yeah. We just we accept that it's normal to want to look in a particular way. We don't challenge it in ourselves and other people. We don't challenge it when we're making ourselves feel physically unwell with tiredness because we're working out so much. And I think that like we need to really examine why do we not all of us, but why do a lot of us want to look in that particular way? No, and do we I really mean, want I it? I wouldn't want to... S- no, I don't. <laughs> mm. um, I'm, I I like to challenge it within myself and with my friends, definitely, because mm. I face a lot of uh, negativity from people for how I dress or if I paint my nails. So, grinder, I can say that I'm now not on that anymore. Well done. Because it's made me... At the time of recording. Yeah, I know, <laughs> literally... <laughs> Um, it's made me quite sick mentally, I think, mm. um, c- because it's so image-based. People will then think you're you're either this kind of masculine way, and then they find out you've got your nails painted, and then suddenly they don't want to know you. Because it and makes a big difference as who you are as a person. Well, yeah. it's it you know mm. that's literally the reaction I get, which is gross. That's really sad. I think that's yeah. just such a sad reflection of what people can be like, mm. rather than anything about you and. You know, if you have the confidence to paint your nails because you want to, then that is great. And that's really attractive. And the more full expression of you that you are, the more attractive that is to somebody who loves you. So you don't want those people if they can't even accept no, exactly, the idea. But it's funny how I can, I- you can easily end up being like, you almost try and persuade them at how it's fine to have them yeah, painted. Yeah, but it's not your job like, to I educate people. To that, no, of no, course not. I mean, you, you are an educator. Like, you are great at like showing different perspectives and everything but you shouldn't have to educate people that look uh painting your nails not is a not a big deal like the orange facebook anyway yeah exactly it's like i should never have had to educate doctors that like oh you know boys can get eating problems too yeah like in that situation that's definitely not appropriate but i think that yeah i struggle myself with like over exercise and things and mm. because i'm doing much better with food yeah i know that you know you don't just clean up one problem and th- and it don't expect something else not to pop up, you know, somewhere else. And yeah. I think that I've replaced quite a lot of my old eating behaviours with exercise yeah, yeah. Um, as time went on. And that is more socially acceptable. That is more culturally, like, normal. And actually, people will celebrate, you know, me for the way that I might look or the things I could mm-hmm. do with my body when actually I could feel really sort of tired about it or I could feel yeah. like, you know, I'm pushing myself too much. And those people who, you know, maybe you have a friend who is always working out every day and 
are we celebrating that? Should we celebrate that? Or should we actually ask them, are you sure you want to be doing that every day? Well, that's where I come in. As a friend now, I can say, do you need to like slow down a little bit with certain things because of mm. doing so much exercise? Um, I like to do a very small amount. Mm, but conveniently, it's also more. my work. So I have a get out know, of jail free card, like don't I? It's an excuse, isn't it? Yeah. So, well, it's, my, it's my job. And if I can't do I these know. things, then people won't come to my classes. And, you know, I... I need to maintain what I'm doing or whatever. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, but it's not a surprise <laughs> that I've sort of made that into my work and yeah. have, a, have a like unlimited exercise pass, basically. But I know that I have to watch it and I think that reducing my exercise like should be celebrated. And yeah. for a lot of people, we should be saying, oh my goodness, well done, you didn't exercise today. That is a massive achievement rather than always like more is more is more. Well done for finding some balance. Yeah, and I think that we have, you know, you could easily be mistaken looking at social media and stuff and thinking that like we should all be exercising all the time we should all be mm. having these perfect lives and everything mm. and people aren't posting when Follow they're really burnt out this one simple hack and look like a washboard yeah and it's all rubbish anyway like so much conflicting health advice out there it's gross it um, is gross yeah no yeah it's very intense all that mm. um but good for you for calling out other people on grinder or whatever it is i think that I have to come off of it though, because else I end up calling them out, and then I probably look a bit like a nut nut job, because they're just so annoying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's also really upsetting. I can imagine, like personally. Yeah. Oh. Oh my gosh, Alexa's joining in. We have another guest, Alexa. Alexa. Shut up. <laughs> Hopefully. She did not respond. It's just <laughs> a silence. I don't normally speak to people like that. She's always interrupting me, Alexa. Mm. Yeah, I think that I just wish that I could not buy into it so much because whilst I'm really aware that it's not important what you look like, I still have to maintain this body and I feel that I have to. Well, I don't have to, but I choose to. And I'm like one of those really annoying yoga teachers that's like, it doesn't matter what shape you're in at all. Mm. It doesn't matter like how deep you can go into it, but you could do the oversplits right yeah. now. Or like, it doesn't matter how high you're going but lift your leg a little bit higher, please. Yeah. And so I feel that like I'm always holding these tensions between what I know I would like to be like and how I actually am like. And sometimes that feels a bit like hypocrisy because I'm, I'm teaching people, for example, to relax when I really struggle with relaxing. Do you find it hard to sort of listen to yourself and then be like, no, stop, this is enough. I don't need to do that much more yeah and like practicing you know? what you preach yeah i think that massively it's I, know, just I know we all we'll yeah we all do that bit yeah i not, think and not do it that's true and it's i suppose i've come from like a really really extreme end of like mm. dangerously over exercising and pushing my body to such extremes that actually like small things are big successes for me but i still have a long way to go but feeling like a hypocrite is a bit of a problem for me sometimes but I try and think of it as like well you know even though I struggle for example self-care I talk about that in yoga even though I really struggle with that that could mean I'm a hypocrite but it could mean I'm an expert on the subject like on the struggle do you know what I mean yeah and I think that it's okay to share the struggle with other people rather than be like talking from on high and saying like this is what you need I to mean, do guys yes yeah I mean because it's like when I when I would give someone advice or something, mm. it doesn't mean I do it all the time. No, exactly. I can't handle it all the time. Mm. You you know it, 
you do it when you can as yeah. much as you can but you're gonna slip up yeah we exactly all, we all kind of slip up don't we and that's like what i'm saying about body image and exercise and stuff and that you know i know that i i know that it doesn't matter as much but i still am in that condition sort of system and in a society where it really does matter and mm. and so like i don't get it right all of the time and i think that it's just about being honest with ourselves and i think yeah. that what we could do as a community is be really honest with ourselves about like why we behave in the ways that we do and yeah. and what kind of pressures we face because then we have a chance of resisting them if we don't talk about it we don't speak it we don't have as much chance of thinking well actually i don't want that for myself well, let's just turn almost turning a blind eye and becoming sort of unaware of it aren't we mm. even though it's there eating away at the subconscious always eating away um i think simon listened to that yes okay there was well definitely loads more inspiring stuff that i was going to say that i've completely forgotten todd okay but look james this is fine you have to be perfect we at all times no no so this is like the angel and the devil mm -hmm. this one's saying perfect over there I'm saying no, ignore that. Be honest, that's not true. But yes, we probably do have a ton more we can talk about, but we can always do another episode. Yeah. We can that would be great. We can swear in that episode as much as we like. Yeah, you could do like an explicit version, yeah. couldn't you? Mm. That would be great. We have to be really careful about who we're like slagging off. Yeah. You know, with like really discreet pseudonyms. We're not going to slag off anyone because uh -huh. we're not that cheap. True. True. Yeah. Are we not? No. Okay. Only when the microphone is off. <laughs> when the microphone is All off. Right. Fair enough. Um thank you. No, it's lovely. It's always nice to speak to you. And I think that we do sometimes have those conversations where I'm like, I wish other people could hear this conversation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And maybe well, not this one because I've not been as inspiring as you are sometimes when you say stuff and I'm like, people need to hear this. He means when I say stuff and can get a word in. Yeah, because I do tend to yeah. monopolize. <laughs> Which is fine. I mean, it's not about me. As yeah, well, it's our stories, isn't it? And yeah. And I'm really looking forward to listening to other people's mm. stories as well. And I think we need more spaces where we can open up and think about unpacking our stories. Because actually, when you think about it and you sit down and you're asked questions about your life, you think, where do I start? Or, like, it's what deep. sense it do I make you, of that? It makes you really go back into your brain. And that's really interesting. I mean, if you're willing to go there, of course. Um, and it's not too trauma ridden. Yeah, so now I'm left being like, who am I? I what was my life? What even should I wear now? And it's all very confusing. Week now to be a complete mess. Yeah, it put me right in an existential crisis. Thank you. Gorgeous. And I'll come to see you to get my hair cut. Yes. And you can fix this yeah. mop. It's like a mushroom. Even though it's bad still stage. Fine. The amount of hairspray you put on it. <laughs> yeah. It's still fine. It's crystallized, actually. It is. Um, see you soon. Yeah, we will, we will, we will come back. Jeez, I feel like we should chink the microphones instead of chinking the glasses. Oh my goodness! Do you think? Am I going to break your really expensive equipment? Maybe. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's just have a Let's go. Do it. Thank you for listening. Um. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I think that broke the mics. Imagine. <laughs> Probably. Exploded.